Good day, this is a BJSM podcast, and in particular focusing on the South African Sports Medicine Association edition of the journal to be published uh, in the next week. And my name is John Patricius, I'm the president of the South African Sports Medicine Association and one of the editors of the SASMA edition of BJSM. I'm very pleased to have with me on this podcast Dr. Joseph Kakic, better known as Dr. Chuck, in South Africa, uh, our foremost hip arthroscopist. And we're going to focus this podcast discussion on hip injuries in sport and the approach of the hip arthroscopist in particular. Uh, good day to you, Chuck. Good day. Good day, John. Thank you for having me. Great. Chuck, let's start off by telling people a little bit about the South African Society for Hip Arthroscopy, uh, of which you've been the president, and its relationship with the International Society for Hip Arthroscopy and SASMA. Um, yes, um, I'm popularly called SASHA, which stands for the South African Society for Hip Arthroscopy. We started it in 2011, and it was basically made by eight enthusiastic hip arthroscopy surgeons in South Africa. And it was essentially resulted um, on need in South African um, system of medicine and uh, to have organization or society that is going to uh, achieve a certain um, level of quality of uh, treatment in the hip arthroscopy as well as establish um, a cl and clarify a relationship between the doctors and, and uh, medical insurances or medical aid. And because this is essentially a relatively all new technique in treatment of the hip injuries or hip conditions, and it was a very much so unknown territory. So we wanted to establish the way how we're going to present that to the insurance companies, companies and in a way to establish also the level of quality by organizing courses and being sure that people who are involved into this treatment are well trained. So those are the two aspects that we were looking at. And that came out as a result of relationship with ISHA, which is International Hip Arthroscopy Society. And that was a need internationally to establish the certain level of quality uh, in all, uh, all places in the world. And that's what basically was resulting in a national societies. And we are not the first. My colleague, John O'Donnell, who is at the moment president of ISHA, he started at more or less the same time with Australian Hip Arthroscopy Society as well as we have uh, Austrian society as well. So there, there, there are all around the world, there is a need to have a national societies which are going to establish the certain rules. And we're using ISHA as our call it a mother society that is giving us a, 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 a line how to do certain criteria and which way to go. It's good to hear that there are international bodies around the world that are setting standards for hip arthroscopy and it seems that uh, there's an alignment uh, globally uh, of these associations and that South Africa is, is well aligned with the, the latest development in hip arthroscopy. Would I be correct in saying that? Yes, uh, it, it seems to be that this was accepted way of looking into that problem or uh, a challenge rather 
And the, I, I got the, I was honored to become a chairman of educational board of Isha. And one of my biggest goals is to establish that international criteria in training as well as in uh, organizing international fellowship, that which we busy doing at this stage. And this year we're going to have our first international fellow as a representative of Isha running uh, uh, his first fellowship. Uh, so this is this is a very challenging part for. And myself personally as well for Sasha is a, 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 a kind of a national society related to Isha. And relationship to SASMA is a sports medicine society in South Africa is a natural, I think, development because the uh, uh, structure of SASMA is, is very much so closer to those problems of hip. And literature is showing that hip injuries in a sport are related between 5% in in adults to up to 25% in in a, in a adolescence and uh, young youth injuries. So the need to have that uh, education and awareness of the hip and pelvic injuries is very very high. So that was a natural development of having a establishing a relationship, very very close relationship with the sports medicine society and hip arthroscopy society. And, and it's just to be developed further. That makes certainly makes perfect sense. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the sports medicine time because if one looks at the literature, there's certain hot topics at the moment that seem to repeat themselves in most of the journals and websites that one looks at. Certainly concussion is one of them. And I think femoroacetabular impingement or FAI and uh, hip label injuries as well as arthroscopy appears to be another. Can you describe a little bit about the evolution of our understanding of these concepts of FAI and label injuries in sport over the last decade or so? It's, it's, uh, in, from my perspective in South Africa, this was an interesting development because uh, when I became aware of uh, uh, what basically happened when I was doing a fellowship in, in hip uh, surgery, it was only one thing, and that's a hip replacement. So essentially, it comes to the point that either the treatment gets uh, the treatment to the person is conservative with a medications and pain control, and uh, basically changing the lifestyle, or going straight to the to the radical hip replacement. And always was a need to 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 find a way how we can preserve the joint, how we can preserve the hip as a joint, and and it was a natural development with looking into the shoulder and the knee as well as a part of, uh, of, of sports, very close sports uh, injuries, it, it's a normal to preserve the joint. So why shouldn't it be the same for the hip? And eventually I realized that I'm not the only one who thinks that way. And looking around the world, there is a colleague of, <clears throat> excuse me, there are colleagues which are very, becoming a very close friends from Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Australia, all over the world, they're having the same thinking. And that's how Isha actually started in 2008 as a, a group of eight of, of 13 doctors. They actually have the same way of thinking. Everything started in Switzerland when basically or it's become foundations become from uh, thinking of Professor Gens who look into the, call it alignment of the joint where he realized that certain malalignment between a femoral head being a ball and acetabulum being a socket can lead into the certain uh, damages to chondral surface, to the cartilage, and that can 
through the time and repetition of the certain movements can lead to the deterioration of the joint, eventually leading to the arthritis. So that was the basic of thinking. And from open surgery becoming a challenge to become a, a treated more conservatively or more hip or tissue preservation way, which is a arthroscopy. So it was a natural development, the same way how it was an ACL being a fully open procedure many years ago, many decades ago, become as a natural arthroscopical procedure these days, same way with the shoulder. So naturally, the hip was developed in the same way, and hip arthroscopy became or becoming slowly uh, a normal ex expected uh, treatment of the joint with preservation of surrounding tissue. So basically, the FAI concept is a very simplifying saying is a, a, a concept of malalignment between a ball and a socket of the joint with very significant damage to the cartilage. Obviously, development of the whole concept going further into the looking at the surrounding tissue and extraticular problems and so on and so forth. So it's becoming a more a pelvic uh, problem rather than being a hip joint problem. And that's where the the, the, the doors are open widely for further research and development, if I say. Okay. I think, I think you've summed it up very well. What, what we're seeing in sports medicine perhaps is a situation where a decade or 12 years ago we didn't see many of these procedures, and now it seems that a number of uh, patients, whether they're active or not, presenting with hip or groin pain or undergoing hip arthroscopies, it does seem to be a procedure that's gained favor, and there are increasing numbers of experts who are performing this operation. Do you think perhaps the pendulum swung too far across to the, the, the number of hip arthroscopies being performed? Or is it a procedure that's perhaps being performed too frequently? I would, I would agree with you. I think that next decade is going to be a decade when uh, research is going to show uh, which of the procedures are uh, showing success and which of the procedures should be taken care of uh, more cautiously. And I think, but on the other hand, this is a, this is a natural development, a new technology, new technique, a very um, uh, um, high success rate leads to the probably overuse of the procedure. What we need, we need a long-term result. We're all talking about a what if the FAI, in other words, impingement is not treated. What is the consequences to that joint in the future? And we're talking future 10, 15, 20 years. What demileage through the walking through the hip is going to result in the future? Is it going to result in a, a inevitable osteoarthritis or not? When I'm doing my lectures to the physiotherapist, bioconetitist, and colleagues, I always mention comparatively to the shoulder and to the acromion. Not every type 3 acromion requires surgery. In my mind, the same way, not every FAI on a radiological presentation requires surgery. We need to see where the clinical presentation, radiological presentation, meets together and results in the symptoms which are deteriorating a patient's condition and his functionality. And I think that's the answer. The answer is in looking at more, not only into the radiological presentation and being defined by the certain angles or certain range of movements, 
I think that it has to be led by individual examination of every single patient and look it that way. But obviously, it's going to take time for that to be established to the certain criteria. So we're very, very much still on a learning curve and trying to find our way in terms of what the medium to long-term sequelae are of, of these interventions. I think in clinical medicine, we have certain more challenging scenarios. You mentioned the older patient with a very degenerate joint. That's probably the easy scenario to address, and they've always moved towards uh, hip replacement. What about the young patient? And we've seen some very young athletes, perhaps due to the loads that these young people are exposing themselves to in many sports or in activities such as dancing. Young patients as young as 11, 12, 13 years of age who present symptomatically with hip injuries and who diagnosed with labral injuries. How do you, how do you approach those young athletes uh, who are really young adolescents? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate working with you. So you, you taking a big load of me being a sports physician and seeing them first as a first kind of a, a, a level of, of, of seeing the patients. And everything in my mind, everything depends on how much of a natural treatment was given, how much time was given to the patient to try to recover in a natural way. Is it acute injury going to be developing towards acute and chronic and chronic problem, or is it going to manage to settle down as acute injury and resolve itself just by conservative management? That is the question that everybody asks, and myself, I'm asking myself that every day. So I have in my mind, I have a, a certain criteria that none of those young, healthy athletes needs to be operated on if they didn't pass certain assessments. And in the last few years, we developed those functional assessment scoring systems and a, a functional assessment from the physiotherapy and biokinetic point of view to look into how much the conservative management helps the patient to recover. And if the patient in the next certain period of natural healing time, which is between three and six months, does recover, obviously he's not candidate for surgery. However, if his condition or her condition is maintaining itself or it's actually increasing in presentation by increasing the level of activity, then obviously the surgery becomes more uh, uh, indicated. And only then it's a question of going into the expensive studies of trying to uh, make not only to find the diagnosis, diagnosis was done, but to find a problem ways where the problem is and targeting the place of possible surgery. Chuck, another difficult scenario we often face with the increasing numbers of very active middle-aged people is the 40 to 50-year-old man or lady who is active, presents clinically and radiologically with labral tears and signs of FAI, but has significant degenerative articular cartilage damage as well. What's your approach to that patient? <laughs> yeah. I'm that age group, so I always tell my patient that they are the worst possible patients that I can have in my practice, and they always look at me and say, yeah, because you're the same age as me. But the point of the matter is it's a very difficult question and task to, to find that fine line between making the patient better or making it worse. I think in that it's, same, it's, it's the same 
principle applies in my experience in when I used to do only also the knee surgery in arthroscopy of the knee in that group. Uh, it's a very fine line between degenerative joint which can be helped and degenerative joint which is going to get worse if somebody tried to invade that joint. And I think that is the answer that nobody knows. So for that reason, we're using a few ways how to look at it, and that's what I'm doing. Our first and foremost is a clinical presentation. If the person has a signs of uh, activity-related increased symptoms, that is a dangerous sign. That is a red flag. That means that biologically that chondral surface is suffering. On the other hand, if that 40 or 50-year-old person has a problem which are related to certain positions, like a flexion or rotational movements or um, um, kind of a, a scissoring actions, but does not have actually any increase of symptoms related to activity or distance, those patients do have much better chances that hypotroscopy and decompression of that femoral acetabulum impingement and possibly labrum repair will help them. At least will buy them time until maybe that joint fails eventually. Other way to look at it is a radiological presentation. And I think colleague and friend Mark Philippon put it very nicely a long time ago in, uh, already in, 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 in a way that saying that if it's a joint space decreased more than 50%, the chances of that joint to be saved is very, very low and it's increasing highly risk of failure of procedure. And failure of procedure being uh, non-symptomatic for less than a year. On the other hand, also, we, we know that subchondral cyst formations, they are very poor signs of, uh, of positive test, of, of success. So radiologically, we're looking into those obvious signs of degeneration and we're looking into how much they are presenting. However, they have to be looked into the combination with clinical presentation, as I said. And I found that separation between activity-related symptoms and position-related symptoms give me a quite a good way of not promising the patient, we can't give them a promise, but to try to establish some kind of a, a, a line of success in a possible procedure. I know you also place a lot of emphasis on good radiographic technique and radiological interpretation as part of your clinical evaluation. What are the key aspects in this regard? Unfortunately, ultrasound as a cheaper version of any kind of a soft tissue assessment is, is of very poor uh, um, um, results in a hip. Hip is a deep joint covered with the many layers of muscles and need to be uh, uh, need to be investigated with unfortunately expensive but MRI is the only way how can be soft tissue around the hip and a intraticular component be assessed adequately in this time of the technological development. We know that MRI per se uh, has a quite a high false negative results. For that reason uh, MRI arthrogram being invasion to the joint but even if it's an invasion to the joint, give us a very high decreasing of false negative results as well as giving us a much better understanding of the soft tissue. So in my opinion, the combination of the uh, CT scan with reconstruction of the skeleton 
option with MRI arthrogram is the way to go. And a couple of reasons for it. CT scan, we're looking into the mechanical components. We need to look into the alignment. We need to look into the angles of acetabulum inside of the pelvis as well as femoral head versus the knee condyles because uh, rotational component of the, of the femur also has a quite significant influence on to the uh, final impingement inside of the acetabulum femoral component. So it's much more wider um, re- um, uh, field to be looked at than just pure hip joint that can be seen on a normal x-ray. Obviously, the plain radiographic x-ray presentation in, in, a, in, a, in a two or three uh, views is a beginning to see basics. But if we're looking into the more deeper uh, assessments, the CT scan with the 3D reconstruction and MRI arthrograms are absolute must prior to any surgery, in my opinion. I'd like to move to the other end of the, the pendulum, as it were, away from surgery and go to something that you've started in South Africa with the South African Society for Hip Arthroscopy and SASMA, and that is your adolescent hip screening campaign. It seems strange that a surgeon who makes his living from operating is now screening young athletes uh, as part of a preventative campaign. Can you explain a little bit behind the logic of, of this campaign? Uh, again, I'm, I'm honored to be related and work with you because you start the concussion clinic and in the same way you, you're doing, you're doing your, your, your preventative uh, treatment of the concussion. And that was a, one of the ideas that I had also with my background coming from Croatia, which is in Europe. And uh, having a, in my medical school times being uh, familiar with the Professor Graf from Austria and campaign that was happening all over the Europe in a preventative ultrasonographic uh, assessment of the newborns to prevent uh, hip dysplasia. That, those, that, that was the way of thinking that well, I thought if the dysplasia can be picked up in a youth and can be prevented by the certain methods conservative or surgically, why would be the femoritabulum impingement on other side of the pendulum not be the same problem? And seeing in the development of the practice towards younger athletes, seeing a much more uh, younger and younger population coming through with the symptoms, and also seeing a much more uh, brothers and sisters coming through, I realized that it will be of value to try to, in inverted commas, to flag those possible problems and follow them through the adolescent life a little bit more closely. And this is the idea of of why we're doing this, is we're looking into the uh, age of about 13, which is a uh, time of uh, skeletal maturity, and we're looking to the possible subclinical signs which might develop in the clinical problems in a young athletic life and try to prevent them. Now, the danger part of it is to destroy somebody's dream, either the athlete himself or herself or the parents. How to approach the the person who has 
possibly subclinical signs of, of some uh, problems with the joint and uh, try to educate them and change that uh, or decrease the risk of developing some problems in the future. And we're going to have to face that because uh, now at the moment we we went through the one school and we saw just over 100 children, uh, adolescents at the age of 13, and we picked up five uh, children with the significant problems. So that is more or less about 5%. We, at the moment, looking into the about five schools to see, four to five schools to organize the same screening system during this year. So that will give us a number of at least about 600 kids that we will be able to, to, to assess and see what the actual percentage on a, on a bigger numbers is. But I'm afraid the numbers are much higher than what we think. And also, the, traditionally, the problems around the hips being ignored. If someone has a sprained ankle or sprained knee, it's visible and it's uh, immediately assessed. The problems around the hip joint, for some unknown reason to me, they've been ignored, if you want to call that way. And that is what we're trying to do, to educate and to, to bring up the awareness of those uh, silent problems that can become a bigger problem in the 20s or 30s. Chuck, I think you've summarized the key aspects of femoroacetabular impingement, label injuries, and uh, the hip in sports medicine very well. You've taken us from preventative issues through to diagnosis and challenging clinical cases in young and middle-aged athletes. Thank you very much for uh, your work in this field. Thank you for your time on this podcast. And I'd just like to invite listeners and BJSM readers as well to attend the SASMA Congress in Johannesburg in October 2015, where with you we'll be putting together a day-long HIP seminar to address many of these issues with you and many local and international guests as well. Thank you very much and have a good day. John, thank you very much for having me. It was absolute pleasure to talk to you. And as, as you said, I wish that, and I hope that some people from from British Journal will come and join us in SASMA meeting next year. And have a nice evening.